We decided to start the year with a series called Bullseye. All right, Bullseye, just to be as clear as possible. It came from a scripture and a quote because we were talking about kind of like just what does 2022 need to be? What does it need to be for you and for me and for us, even culturally? And we're thinking about the goals and things that we have. And here's the quote um, that I shared with you last week as we kind of introduced it. You guys may have heard this before. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it when? Every time. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Here's the scripture that kind of prompted this, uh, this series for us. And it is uh, it's from Philippians. It's Paul writing to the Philippi. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Taken hold of what? Well, he was talking about the fullness of, of what God wanted for his life, the fullness of what God had planned for him. He says, but one thing I do know is forgetting what's behind me and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the mark, the goal, depending on the translation, to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. That there is a goal, there's a target, if you will, for our lives. And so the question we wanted to ask in this series right out of the gate was, do you have a target, right? Do you have a target? Most of us would not consider that. Most of us, and I asked the question last week, but I won't ask it again, like most of us kind of move into that New Year's resolutions. You did at one point, maybe you have like lost enough uh, bets with yourself that you don't do that anymore, you know, because it's all about the, what do I need to start doing? What do I need to do less? You know, I need to eat less. I need to start losing weight. I need to start exercising more. Like there's always the do's and the kind of do. And last week, I just challenged everybody here and who was watching online. I said, look, don't focus on, on the do's or don't do's. All right. Before you do that, go to the next slide. I want you to focus on who we are right? Who we are versus what we do. Now, you need both, but I, I think in order, just the challenge of, you know, focus on who you are, who you're becoming, who do you want to be. Now, there may be some action steps that go along with that, but it's, it's more about your character. It's more about who you actually are than, than just a list of do's and don'ts, all right? And that's where we started last week, and I said, hey, there is a target, as a church, we have painted a target. We have clarified the target of what it means to be a disciple or a follower of Christ. And it comes in these four words. These are the core ambitions of a disciple. Partnering, growing, serving, and leading. These are the, if anybody were to ask us, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? It means these four things. What does it look like for, in someone's life to know if they're growing and to know if they're, they're, they are following Christ? It means they're engaged in these four things. They're partnering with God and local, with his mission and with a local church. They're growing in their faith spiritually. They are serving others outside of themselves. They are leading other people to the hope that is in Jesus. That's it. We make it as simple as possible, as clear of a target as we can. Why? Because we believe, we believe that there is a bullseye in your life that you can aim for that affects and ripples out every domain, every area of your life, and that is spiritual. That is your faith, your spiritual relationship with God. That there's a bullseye there. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. I didn't share it last week, but this is a quote that he said, if you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in, right? But if you aim at the earth, you get neither or neither, whatever you want to say. Like if you aim at heaven, if you aim on spiritual things, if that's the goal that you're pressing towards, you're going to get earth thrown in. Why? Because it affects every domain, work, family, relationships, your life. It affects everything. 
But if you're aiming just to please the wife or to please the husband or to please the boss or to please relationships, if you're just aiming for the things that are here on the earth, you're going to fail at those and you're going to get neither. So we really do believe there is a bullseye. Last week, we, we hit pretty hard the who we are part of the, of the, of the core ambitions, right? Are we, who are we? Are we fully engaged partners? Are we spiritually growing followers? Are we fully engaged partners? We talked about that. We talked about what it looks like to, to grow spiritually. And then I to, told you I'd bring in the, the, some other stuff this week in terms of the growth part, which is the last two of our core ambitions, right? Now, last week, I ended it this way. The church is for you, and God is for you. And I want to just the reason I wanted to re- recap that was just so you remember. The church is here to celebrate you, to give you every opportunity. Uh, last week, we, sh- we passed out a card. Um, they're available at the info bar, but they're the partnership agreement or commitment for you to be a partner in our church because we don't do membership. On the back side, there's just a, a rough idea. I say rough, meaning you know it's as, it's as in stone as as, you know, pencil is. And so that's the calendar so far of when we have certain things for you, you know, life groups and, or uh, sorry, a, a leader link for our leaders and growth track for you to grow and, um, and uh, discovering journey if you're new and things like that. And so uh, camps and things we have planned, these are all just opportunities. Now we can't make you do anything, but we want you to know the church is for you. The church wants to see you. We want to celebrate with you as you grow in your faith, as you partner, as you serve others as you lead. But nobody is for you more than God. Nobody wants to see you hit this target in your life. Nobody wants to see you successfully doing all those things as a disciple, letting it affect every area of your life more than God who is for you. So today, we're going to continue on with more of the action steps. Last week, we talked about who we are and who we are becoming and today we're going to talk about well, what we do and what are we called to do in terms of as followers of Christ. Well, it's using our God-given gifts in serving others. That's that serving piece. And it's personally leading others to the absolute hope that's found in Jesus Christ. It's personally being engaged in leading others to the absolute hope. Now, we, we simplify this. If you've heard us talk about it throughout the last couple of years, if you've been here for a while, you've heard us say this. This is our strategy, okay? If anybody ever asks me in terms of the you know, other pastors and churches, we'll talk about things. And, you know, again, I keep things as simple as I can for my benefit and for yours, right? What do we do? What are we supposed to do? What do you want us to do? What do you want to, anytime somebody thinks about what are we supposed to be doing, it's simple. The strategy is simple. It's those two things. It's sharing and serving, period. Okay? And it's not centered on the church. It's not about whether the church is sharing and whether the church is serving, like our once a year serve day on Labor Day where we try to creatively take a day that most of you guys may not show up to church. You may go on a, on a trip, but that's okay. We're going to serve people anyway. right? There, it's not just whether the church is doing it. It's, it's you. It's you, the church. And the, and the mission and the vision of our church is not church central, it's you central. How do we know if the strategy is, is working? Well, it's whether you are sharing your lives with others, whether you are sharing your story of grace with people in, the, in your circle, in your life, whether you're sharing your resources, whether you're sharing your gifts, whether you're sharing just you. 
Are you serving others? Are you looking opportunities to serve, not only volunteering here as a, as a family and finding a place to plug in and partner, but are you serving in the areas of your work and your life and your circles where you can make a difference because God has equipped you to make a difference? Are you doing those things? That's the strategy of our church. Like, like it doesn't get any more complicated than that. Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Share and serve. That's it. What is it next year? It's the same, right? It's been 20 years. What has it been for 20 years? It's the same, right? Uh, matter of fact, Pastor Will, he came and spoke. He was one of the founding pastors of our church. He, he came and spoke for our 20th anniversary last year. And we were on the phone. And he's talking to me. He's like, hey, man, what, what do you, where do you see the church in five years? What would you love for people to be doing in five years? I said, I would love for them to be doing what I want them to do right now. Share. Share Jesus. And serve others. That's what it's always going to be in terms of what we're called to do. Let me walk you through the two uh, aspects of that in terms of kind of clarifying that target of what serving and leading does. We, we have a phrase that says serving brings purpose. So when we talk about serving here as a church, we say serving brings purpose. What does that mean? It means that there's something about serving, there's something about serving that just kind of amplifies the purpose of our lives. In a culture that continues to trend more and more inwardly and self-centered, we believe that we are our best selves as followers of Christ when we are service, selfishly serving others, right? Because serving expands our soul. It gives us perspective, believe this or not, that we are not the most important people in the world, Right? Serving others gives us perspective that other people matter to God, that other people are valuable to him. You know what? They're almost as valuable, if not more, than your kids are valuable to him, or that you are valuable to him, or that your family is valuable to him. Like, like serving just gives us that perspective that there is a value that God has placed on others, that we are called to lift up and to engage, to step up and to step out in serving. When somebody really struggles with their purpose, usually, and I say this usually, again, there's always exceptions, but when people are struggling with, like, I just don't know my purpose, I, I, I usually start engaging in the questions of, well, what are you doing for others? How are you serving others? And if their life doesn't have that, if it's not filled with that, then I say, well, then start there. Start using your gifts and your talents and your abilities and your passions and start giving them away. Matter of fact, here's some of the scripture we share when we start talking about serving, especially when it comes to using your gifts and talents. This comes from Romans 12. We read last week Romans 12:2 because part of growing is the transforming of our minds, right? Yeah, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think. And then it goes on to say, look, don't think that you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourself by the faith that God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If he's given you the gift of serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. 
If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Do it gladly. I love when it says, you know, don't think you're something that you're not. Don't think so highly of yourself. Why? Because so many of us fall for the illusion of our culture, the illusion of the day, the illusion of the, of the idea that we sort of have, we've sort of got this. We can sort of handle this on our own. When you were never made that way, you were never created that way, you were never, it was never intended that way. God created a church and a people that was like a body that needed each other, you know? I mean, I mean, the people who think that they have this on their own and they don't need anyone else, they're just like a hand sitting there on the ground. It's creepy, right? It's creepy. Okay, choose another body part. It's creepy. Stop acting like you weren't made for community because you were. I don't care if you're introverted. Introverts have community. They're just smaller groups, you know, that don't meet as often. No, I'm just kidding. It's like... It's still community, I promise you. There is still something you get because that's how God wired you. That's how God designed you. And part of that in you is to serve one another, to take what God has given you. That's just a list of the, there's so many more spiritual gifts there, but God has gifted you on purpose for a purpose in your life and for the purpose of continuing to do what he's called you to do. Everybody, regardless of gifts, can serve. Here's, here's how it continues on in verse 9. It says, don't pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another or honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in your, our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Don't, don't retaliate. Pray that God would bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and then weep with those who weep. It's called empathy. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil for more evil, but do things in such a way that everyone that can see that you are honorable and do all that so you can live in peace with everyone. I know sometimes people read that verse and they're like, ah, you know, <laughs> it's not my fault. We're not living in peace. It's their fault. You know? Well, I, I get that sometimes. But, but the scripture says, I want you to do all that you can. Do all that you can do to live in peace with others, to not cause the conflict, to not be the center of everything, but to serve others. Whatever we say and do, right? We do it all for the glory of God. That's what Paul continued to challenge in the church of, of, of Colossae. And I want to be really, really specific to say that our words matter I know actions, the, the, the theme of the day, but in terms of what we say, in terms of how we serve, because regardless of your gifts and talents and your abilities, which you have been given, 
You, you want to serve others, you just serve them with your life and the way that you live and the things that you say, whether you're lifting people up or honoring one another and doing those things. And I want to just make a special challenge to you that this applies to texting. You know, this applies to online posts, right? This applies to those things because right now with communication in our, in our culture, you know, there's a, especially with our young people, there's a texting and sort of digital veil that gives us the illusion that we don't have to like own the words that we say. We don't have to own the things that we represent. We don't have to own the thing we plastered or forwarded or, or tagged. Like we don't have to own those things. But the reality is as Christians, we do. We have to take that responsibility seriously. You say, well, you know, that's fine. I, I'd say that, to, I'd say everything I said online to people's face. Well, that's great. Maybe that just proves that you're a jerk online and in person, <laughs> right? Like there's work to be done. And I want to just say that, that this is a great passage. This is Peter's first letter to the church. This is the end of his first letter, sort of his final words of this letter, 1 Peter he says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. I want you to use them well to, read it out loud. I want you to use them well to serve one another. And then he gives two examples quickly. He says, look, if you have the gift of speaking, I want you to speak as though God himself were speaking through you. That's a lot of responsibility. Do you have the gift of helping others? I want you to do it with all the strength and energy that, who supplies it? that God supplies you with. It's not just what you can manage. It's not what fits in the margin of your life. It is what God empowers. It's what God strengthens and empowers you to do. Keep going. Why? Because then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ and glory and power to, and forever and ever to him. Amen. That's how he ends this letter. Use that well to serve one another. Honor one another. Everyone has a place to serve. Everyone can serve with their lives, no matter their gifts or talents or passions or ability. You have the ability, even in the words you say, in serving others and honoring others, encouraging others. And we encourage everyone here, we always tell you this, to go through growth track. It's just one of the opportunities that we give you about four times a year. To, to, we take a whole morning, we talk about how you're wired, we talk about um, how God made you, we talk about how he gifted you, and we walk you through some easy steps and tools to, again, to hit that target, to move forward, and how you're aiming your life, and how you want to take steps to see growth in your life. The last, next one is leading. Leading brings hope. This isn't leading like leading the church or leading a small group. We, don't, we use the word leading because it's the best way to describe what it means to lead others to Jesus. Because we, we, we say this, leading brings hope. Now, this is really cool because I, I try to explain this to people, but it's really hard to explain. Because there is a mysterious you know, element, supernatural element to this. That as we are pointing others to absolute hope. As we are personally, that's why we say personally, it's not a program, it's not a, it's not a class, it's a, it's a personal call. As we are personally engaging with others, sharing our stories of grace, sharing our story of redemption, sharing our hope in Jesus. As we point people to hope, and as we engage in that, guys, God infuses us with that hope. Does that make sense? 
Like, I try to help people understand it who have never experienced it before, but I'm just like, you don't understand. You, you might know it. You might have a good knowledge of it, but you may not be infused with it the way it happens when you are personally involved in someone's story, when you are personally praying by name for someone in your top five, when you are personally watching someone, I watch the scales fall off their eyes as they begin to see and experience Jesus for the first time. I mean, it just brings you hope like you've never felt before when you're pointing others to the absolute hope of Jesus. Here's again Peter Going back to First Peter, this is what he said instead, I want you to worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about whose hope, just say it out loud, whose hope? Is it the church's hope? No. Is it your mom and dad's hope? No. Is it, is it your family's hope or other people's hope or just those Christians out there hope? No. If someone asks you about whose hope, as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be prepared to have an answer for the hope within you. Do this, you're going to do this gently and respect, in a respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. If people speak against you, let them be ashamed when they see the good life you live because you belong to Christ. What we tell people is that this means we do not argue and debate people to hope. Okay, everybody with me? Oh, you like to argue and debate people to truth? Because your truth is the truth, the right truth. But that's not what you are actually called to do. You are called to herald the Gospels, to point other people to Jesus. Right? Because his, he's the hope, the absolute hope that they need. Not the way you figured it out. Okay? Not your truth. Not, it's, it's him. We say personally because we, we believe it's a personal call. Jesus should, could have just come and looked at everybody and said, look, everything you're about to say, you're wrong. And listen, everything I'm going to say is right. Am I right? Like he could have just said that. You're wrong. I'm right. So shut up. <laughs> he could have said that. But that's not how even he led by example to lead people to himself. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says it this way. It says, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. And at one time, we thought of Christ merely from our perspective, our human point of view. Oh, how differently we see him now and know him. Talking to the church, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, you become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God, that absolute hope we were talking about, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And he's given through God, he's given us the task, the do, the job of reconciling people to him. Okay, now how do you do that? Very simple, he keeps going. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting their sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message. It's not about you, it's about him. Telling people about him, telling people, giving people his message of reconciliation. And it says, and we now are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead to people, come back to God. 
We speak for Christ when we say, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for sin so that we can be made right with God through Christ. That's the message of reconciliation, right? Here's the problem with most Christians. And I, wanna, I just want to hear you. I want you to hear it because I know that it can bring about a little bit of guilt and shame if you've never told anybody your story. You've never personally engaged with somebody and told them how to become a Christian. There's a lot of Christians like that. I, I, I don't want to shame you or guilt you. I just want you to hear this. Listen, the real most reason, the reason that most people don't do this, right? We'll talk about some of the resistance in a minute. But the primary reason is because they think that when they talk to somebody, they are ambassadors of their screwed up, awful, wrecked life. Right? They think that when I talk to this person, that I represent me, the screw up, the one who's not doing what I should be doing, the one who's, who's royally messed this up, the one who's struggling, the one who's hurting. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says you have a message about what Jesus has done. You are Christ's ambassador, meaning you don't represent you anymore. You represent him. And how do you fit into that? What's well, fine. I don't represent my messed up life to you. I represent a God of grace who's at work in my messed up life. Everybody got that? I'll say it one more time. I do not represent to people my messed up life. I represent a God of grace of mercy, of justice, of salvation, who is at work in this messed up life. I am his ambassador. It is his message of reconciliation. It is his work that redeems. It is him who has the power to change everything for you. That's what I represent. Now, last week I told you about the resistance, right? Because I said, all of this is easier said than done, okay? All of it is easier said than done. So Pastor Donnie gave me his just amazing bow and arrow set. I so want to shoot this so bad. All right, maybe after the service. Anyway, okay. Just talking about this, saying, oh, hit the bullseye, everybody. Just go hit the bullseye. Like even like the most skilled of you in here might struggle to actually hit the bullseye. Right? Maybe you have a couple shots. I only have two arrows. I think he hid most of them from me. <laughs> Probably smart. This, this is easier said than done. Why? Last week I shared with you some of the resistance. You know, some of the resistant points of you growing in your faith spiritually. You know, apathy is one. You got to get past your apathy and the fact that you just don't see spiritual things. You don't care about spiritual things. We talked again about uh, outside forces. You know, we talked about sort of not just the enemy in terms of outside forces, but even other Christians that sort of want to keep you kind of not focusing on the right things. We talked about the idea of distance. Distance adjusts angle, right? You know, if I'm really far away, you've seen archers in movies, you know, like up there because they know where it's going to land. Distance, uh, 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 distance determines your approach to things. So today I'm going to give you three more. I want to give you three more in terms of, I know it's easier said than done. But I want to give you three more resistance factors to be aware of. And I'll walk you through them. Passivity. Especially when it comes to the doing part of things. There is, there is the sin of man that started with Adam in the garden of passivity. 
assuming that someone else is going to do it, assuming that it's someone else's job and responsibility. There's passivity within all of us to not take action, but to step back, not step out. And that's a sin. And for most of us, it comes from several places. There's insecurity, especially when it comes to our gifts and talents and passions and knowledge. So we're insecure about really not knowing as much as we think we should know to share Jesus with other people. And I tell people this all the time. Look, if you were, if you were even raised in a somewhat Christian evangelical church in the, in the Southeast, you know, if you were raised in a church as a kid, you already know more than most beginning missionaries in third world countries. You already know more. You have knowledge. You may not have the way to connect all the dots, but you have it. But we, we are so insecure because we can't answer that question or we don't think we're going to have, or you think we're going to get pinned into feeling foolish, so we're insecure. Right? We're incompetent because we haven't really exercised our gifts and strengths and, and, and abilities. We haven't exercised and engaged them in so long, maybe ever, which is part of why it's so important to partner with the church. So you can begin to exercise your spiritual gifts. Here's what I know. God did not create your spiritual gifts for the church to be used on an hour or two different services or whatever on Sunday morning. He did not give you, he did not die for you and send his Holy Spirit for you to infuse you with spiritual gifts so you can use them one out of the 168 hours in your week, right? Yet I know this is true. If you are not engaging and working them and practicing and exercising them here, you are more than likely not serving anyone else out there. If you cannot exercise them here, the easiest place to exercise your gifts, I can guarantee you, for the, mo for the most part, there's always exceptions, you're really not engaging them anywhere else. So you feel incompetent, you feel ill-equipped, and it creates this passivity in us, and we have to beware of that. We have to beware of that resistance factor of kind of moving towards this target and pray and ask God to kind of reveal that to us and help us work through it. Fear and division. Now, I know that doesn't look right. It's phonetically correct. You everybody with me? Yeah, it's phonetically correct, and I've decided to create a new word. And that's it. Fear. Listen, the truth is, it just makes my Baptist heart happy to have three Ps. That's all it is. It's the only reason I did it. Fear and division. Because I just want you to know this. The clearer this target is that you are aiming your life towards, the more you will stand out from the crowd. The clearer it is of the things you want to focus on spiritually, the more you will be recognized and noticed for being different than the herd. And that causes fear in us. Fear that we'll be picked on. Fear that we'll be uh, persecuted. Fear that we will be um, talked about. Fear that, just fear alone of standing out. No one wants to stand out. Not really. And in such a divided world, in such a divided culture, I know there's many Christians that even have a, they, they, they kind of have justified it as a heart of mercy and a heart of love and grace that they don't want one more thing to divide them and their friends. They don't want one more thing to divide them from other people. And yet here's the reality is that the gospel is dividing people. The gospel does divide. It does. It separates fathers and mothers from children. 
Like it, the scripture tells us that. Now it's not supposed to be us, right? It's not supposed to be the jerks that we want to be and trying to argue and debate people with the truth that we believe is the truth and treat the Bible like a flamethrower. You know, we want to treat the Bible as, as, as a weapon. And the reality is, is it is a spiritual weapon, but it was made to draw people to him. It was made to bring people to him. And, and the fact that it will, might cause division for people, you can't control any of that. You can't control that. You can overcome your fear. We were called to be a peculiar people. Guys, we were called to stand out. As I read in that whole, whole list of living our lives and not, not hating and retaliating people who do evil against us, but praying for blessing, like, have you really did that? How different do you? How different would you be, right? How different would it stand out? That's what we are called to do as we serve others and as we lead others. Perseverance, again, is that exercise and that practice. It's, that, it's the engaging of our gifts and talents. It's in the, it's in the exercising of it. It's in the, it's, in the, it's in the practice over and over and over. Because that's the only way you get good, right? I mean, in terms of even just archery, that's the only way you're going to get better at it. It's the only way you're going to get closer and closer and closer to the bullseye you're aiming for. So my closing encouragement to you is just don't give up. Okay? Don't give up. There's a really wild illustration using a bow and arrow in the Old Testament that I want to just share with you as we close out today. But it's an incredible illustration. It's a little weird of a story to kind of end on, but I'm just, I want you to hear it just as an encouragement to you. This is, a, 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 this is the end of Elisha, who is a prophet of God. It's the end of his life. Okay? And Elisha did like double the amount of miracles that Elijah did his predecessor. And yet Elisha himself is, is going to die. Elisha himself is kind of nearing the end. And here's this encounter that he has. When Elisha was in the last illness, his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I hear the chariots and the charioteers of Israel, he cried, meaning that the enemy was coming. And he was nervous and he was scared and he came to the prophet for guidance and help. So Elisha told him, look, go get a bow and some arrows. I'm going to hold it because it just makes me feel better. All right. Go get a bow and some arrows. And so the king did exactly as he was told. Keep going. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And then Elisha laid his hands, his own hands, on the king's hands. Keep going. Then he, then he commanded, open the eastern window. And he opened it. And then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow, and Elisha proclaimed from his deathbed, he said, look, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Aramines at Aphek. And then he said, now pick up the other arrows. I don't know, I don't know how many arrows he got, but he said, hey, pick up the other arrows, and I want you to strike them against the ground. So the king picked up the arrow and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. Why? You should have struck the ground five or six times. He exclaimed, then you, then you would have beaten Aram until he was entirely destroyed. Now you're only going to be victorious only three times. Watch this. Then Elisha died and was buried. Well, that was anticlimactic, wasn't it? 
Again, I know it's a strange story. And I, don't, I can't give you all the insight to the fullness of what's going on here, but what we gather from the story in terms of an illustration is that for whatever reason, the king came to Elisha and was doing what he told him to do. And Elisha said, look, grab the other arrows and strike the ground. And for whatever reason, listen, we don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, he stopped at three. He just shot, he just shot three hours in the ground. Maybe he thought it was a futile uh, you know, exercise. Maybe he didn't understand. Maybe he thought he needed the arrows for the next set of, uh, uh, you know, of instructions. I don't know. But Elisha was angry. Why? Because there were more arrows to shoot. There were more arrows to shoot. And I, and I want to just encourage you and challenge you. As I stick this back in the, the bullseye here without knocking over my target. For many of you, depending on where it is, partnering, growing, serving, leading, I told you to pray about this last week, but there's probably some areas in your life as you're growing, as you're following God as a disciple that you need to re-engage. You need to take steps in. You need to step in and step out, especially when it comes to serving and leading. That maybe at one time you did you did do a little. You did attempt some things. You did try some things. Maybe you served for years, but for whatever reason, you're not shooting any more arrows right now. For whatever reason. And I don't know the reason. I don't know your reason. But I want to just encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. God gave you arrows to shoot. You keep shooting. Okay? You, you aim that target. You aim your life in the direction that God wants you to aim your life, and you don't give up. Never give up. If you have arrows to shoot, you shoot them. Doesn't matter how many times you miss. Doesn't matter how many times you screw up. Doesn't, have, doesn't matter how bad of a shot you are. Doesn't matter any of the resistance that you already know is going to be there. You keep going. And maybe for some of you, look, you need to re-engage those gifts and talents and abilities. You need to remember that top five list that we challenge you all the time to have. There's five people in your circle of your life right now that you need to be intentionally praying for, looking for opportunities to share about Jesus and to share about your hope in Jesus with them. I love it when people come and tell me that they've brought some of their top five to church someone on their list. They'll say they're on their list or, you know, top five. I love when we get to do baptisms. We're going to do baptisms again in February and just uh, next month. But I love when I get to baptize people and I'll hear people say that, that they'll talk about the people in their life who pointed them to the absolute hope of Jesus. And I love it because I'm just like, they were on someone's list. They were someone's top five. It's so beautiful to see the fruit of that action. As you grow, as you partner and you serve and you, and you grow and you, and, and, you, and you lead others, guys, I'm just telling you, this is, this is the target. Do you have this target? Do you have a target at all? Is it the right one? I'm going to close this right now 
reading the same scripture that we started with today. I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase. Again, I like some of the way that the paraphrase um, sort of uh, translates, if you will, or paraphrases the heart behind Paul's letter. It says this, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. I'm not going to give up. I'm never going to stop. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, you have a different target you're shooting for. Something else less than total commitment. God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. And now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. That's my prayer this morning. That if anybody here doesn't have that clear vision, that God would, that God would clear your blurry eyes. That you would begin to take steps in aiming your life towards all that God wants for you and has for you. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And the way it challenges and changes us, even as Pastor Chris prayed this morning, that we, we, we desire to be able to just leave here changed more and more into being like who you are when we leave this place today. And God, there's, there's some things that we need to work on in terms of who we are and who we're becoming. Please clear our, our vision so we can see the steps to take. There's things that we need to do or, or re-engage with in terms of serving and leading others to you, to sharing and to serving God. Clear our blurred vision. Help us see it. Help us continue to fire those arrows to never give up. God, we, we know that when we take steps that you meet us there, that it's only by your strength and your power to your spirit that, we're in, that we even have the desire to move in that direction. And so, God, we're just asking that as you continue to equip and empower us to do your will and work, God, that you are doing a move right now in this church, online, those who engage in Call Journey Home. God, you are at work in us. We're looking forward to the 21 days of prayer. God, just, just take the next 21 days and just allow everyone here to experience a life-changing January as we read your word, as we pray together as a church, and as we anticipate the work you're going to do. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.